I'm always here. Um, but, you know, just thinking about this message and hearing what you guys have been talking about with Philippians, I kind of wanted to start today off with um, uh, a Christmas story, right? And it's not the Christmas story about Jesus' birth. It's about when I was a kid. And last time I mentioned, I had um, a couple years window where my parents were divorced. And during that divorce, things were pretty tight. Uh, they did get back, to, if you don't remember, they did get back together to eat with each other. They got married again um, as we, our family's lives were changed because we met the Lord. But during that time, things were pretty scarce, right? And so I remember leading up to Christmas, you know, as a kid, you're anticipating gifts. So, so kids, uh, is Christmas your favorite holiday, kids? How many kids have Christmas your favorite holiday? Yeah? Yeah, it says, okay. Some adults are like, this is my favorite holiday. And so we had this expectation that we probably wouldn't be getting, getting much, if anything. And so leading up, you know, I'm checking the tree, and there's nothing underneath the tree. And I remember waking up on Christmas morning, and for some reason I just made my way to the kitchen, and I looked by the tree, and there were gifts under the tree. And I remember being so excited, I ran back, I woke my brother up, you know, he's older than me, and he, he thought I was joking around. He said, oh, be quiet, Rodney, you're, you're playing around, stop playing, right? And so eventually, you know, my mom had scraped up enough stuff. And to me, it seemed like a lot, but it probably wasn't much. But she did what she could, and she scraped up, scraped up enough stuff for us to have a great Christmas. And I remember that being such good news. And so as I thought about you guys going through uh, Philippians and talking about the gospel, right? Because that's what the gospel is. The gospel is good news. And so I thought I would just go and just kind of remember when I was growing up what the gospel meant. And so the book of Philippians, you know, Paul's in prison, and he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, and he wants the whole church to be united because of this joy that they have, this joy that they get from the gospel. And it's amazing that Paul found some joy of being locked up in prison, right, a place where you probably couldn't find much joy. But I remember growing up and just trying to remember myself and being taught how to kind of remember the story of the gospel. And so the gospel I want to kind of go through today stands for God's, God offering salvation, providing eternal life. I'll say that again. God offering salvation, preparing, providing eternal life. I get the P mixed up all the time with providing or preparing, right? So just breaking that down, think about God and who God is. And so in a minute, I'm going to have you kind of share what God means to you, or if you had, if you were asked to describe God in one word, what would it be? And that's kind of hard, right? Is he is a comforter? Is he a healer? I'll give a couple already, right? So think about that for a second. I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, just kind of just say what, what God, how you describe God in one word, all right? Just think of that one word that describes God. And kids, too, think of that one word that describes God. So think of it quickly. Now, on the count of three, we're going to, all going to say that once. One, two, three. Right. Yes, yes, wonderful. Infinite names, many different names, right? But one of the ones that I came up with is creator. God created everything. Everything that we have is because of God. He made everything into existence, right? And when he made it, it was good. As you read your Genesis, you can see that every day as he made something, that it was good. Right? And so creation was good, creation was perfect, until something happened, right? <coughs> until things kind of got messed up and things weren't good anymore. 
as they were told not to eat of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, they got tempted by a serpent, and they ate. And so ever since that moment that they did that, there is a separation, there is a gap. There is a gap between us and God. And so what God wanted to do was he wanted to close that gap, right? He wanted us to be united with him again. And so it's amazing, as I read, he immediately had a plan to make that happen, right? Genesis 3.15. We can see that after, he, after this happens, Adam and Eve were hiding, right? What a concept, trying to hide from God, right? So they're hiding. And so then God comes and he talks to them, and he tells them what the consequence of their sin is, that they're now separated from God and things are messed up. But Genesis 3.15 says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And so when this happened, right, when this happened, that was the first offer. So we have God who created everything, and now he's offering this solution to bring us back to him. And this offer was for our benefit. We're the ones that messed up, but this offer was for our benefit. Right? That's how good, that's how much good news this is. And so he could have had a couple different options, right? He could have said, you know what? You guys messed up. Because you guys messed up, I'm just going to wipe you guys out, start all over. Right? Hit the delete button, new document. Right? He could have just said, you know what? I'm going to be, let you guys be separated for eternity. You guys do your thing, I do my thing, you guys destroy each other, and I'll do nothing about it. And he could have just wiped this clean. No do document, right? Just delete. Don't hit, don't hit Alt-Z, right? Just let it go. But God made a plan to send Jesus, right? And so we kind of see that as we go through, you know, all the, all the things that you learn in Sunday school, you go through Abraham, and you see Abraham, who's righteous. He was declared righteous before he did anything. And then uh, he kind of messes up. And then you can go through Isaac, Jacob. You start going through, through them all. Go to King David, great king, but he was still flawed. And so this winded up going until Jesus, right? Jesus came, and like I said, he took the blow, right? It seemed like he was defeated, but then three days later, he rose again. We all know what happened, right? And so God, through that, offers us salvation. If we look at Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11, we see that says this. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So Paul is kind of explaining this as he's writing this letter, that Christ came, and he really came to do what? He came to serve. And so God is offering his son to come serve us, Right? We're the ones that messed up. 
And so it's such an example. You know, Paul's just writing for everybody to be unified because we see that Christ came to serve. And so it tells us that we should serve, right? We should serve others. Christ didn't take advantage of his status, right? He's God. He could have came. He didn't have to go through everything that he went through. He could have said, you know, I'll wipe you guys out. You guys are coming at me. I can do anything I want to do, right? I don't have to subject myself to this. Think about us. We're sons of God, right? We have, those of us who have accepted Christ, we have our salvation. Let's not take advantage of that, of that position, and let's reach out to others and serve others and help others reach the salvation as well. God honored Jesus because of his service, but Jesus didn't do it to get honor. He did it because he loves us, and he did it to serve he didn't do it for personal gain. And so as we live our lives and as we decide that we're going to follow Christ and as we decide that we want to serve and we want to see other people come to Christ and we want to see other people's lives changed, it's not for personal gain. It's not that, you know, we're sitting there saying that we want this reward. It's because we're doing it out of love. And so this service and generosity, you know, I've kind of seen it firsthand um, you know, it's really good when you, when you kind of see it, you know. And back some time ago when I went to Kenya uh, in Africa, we were there, and, um, you know, it's, it just makes you appreciate everything you have, right? There's poverty over there. We were helping uh, uh, kind of um, a school of orphans, and they probably had about 500 kids there. And they're probably up to 1,000 by now, but they had 500 kids. And we were started by these four guys these four guys who were orphans themselves, and just one day they were just sitting there um, by, the, by the water, by the, it was really a sewage, but by the water, and they started tutoring one or two kids, and then it just kind of grew. And so over there, um, first of all, there's a lot of joy that they have. It's just amazing. They, they, they have joy. They have nothing else. They don't have money. They don't have possessions. And they understand they're poor. I mean, they, they know that they are. Um, so they don't expect anybody to feel sorry for them. And it's just great to see them worship, great to see them love each other. And so when they were out, and one of the things they teach us and one of the things they talk about when you go on these trips is you just can't give out money, right? Especially if you're, if you're out somewhere and you start giving money out, you're going to have a huge crowd and you're going to run out, okay? So you just have to, as hard as it is, you just have to say no to everybody that asks for money. So we're out one time. We're just kind of walking around, seeing the sights, and a couple ladies come by. And these ladies uh, start talking to um, the missionaries. Okay, and yeah, a little side note. Okay, so when I went, I was the only African-American on the trip, right? So going in Kenya, there is a lot of uh, confusion. You know, I get off the, we're getting off the van, and everybody thinks I'm with the driver. You know, they're asking Ben, hey, Ben, is that, is, is your help? <laughs> and so then, you know, when I, started to, when, I, when I started to speak, it gave it away, all right? But... Um, this is a little funny side note. So when I'm there, they're going to the, to the other, my colleagues first, and they're asking them for money. And then these two ladies turn to me, and they start speaking Swahili, Swahili all of a sudden. And I'm looking at them <laughs> like, wish I could help you. I don't, I don't speak Swahili. And so I think they realized that. But it's interesting because I think what they were saying was they were kind of chastising me for not helping them out because they kind of looked at me as a guide, and I was getting paid to guide, you know, these missions. Anyway, so one of the guys that was with us, though, his name was David. 
And I'll never forget this. David didn't have much. I mean, these guys, he's one of the founders of the school, and he didn't have much money, and they barely got paid. And so he had some coins in his pocket. And what he did was he took them out, and he gave them to these ladies. And then somebody else on the team said, David, you don't have to do that. Don't do that. Keep your money. And he said, I think they needed it more than I did. And so it was this amazing seeing that, seeing the service, seeing how the gospel can change somebody, that they don't have much themselves, but they just want to keep giving. And it was, it was done privately. It wasn't for personal gain. It wasn't so that, you know, he can brag. It was just because he had a heart for other people. And so when we talk about the salvation and see the salvation, you know, we see that this prophecy that God did in Genesis 3 came true. How Jesus took the blow, but three days later he rose again. And see, through that, we have power and death over sin, right? That sin does not have a hold on us. Now, we still have this thing, the flesh. We still have sin that surrounds us, right? The sin nature. It's just, it's just here. And sometimes we don't uh, understand why we do things that we do. You know, I'm reminded of another story of, uh, you know, growing up right here in Fairfield and, you know, back then we took our bikes out and our friends, we would be out all day and we would ride, you know, far places. But we stayed in Fairfield and so there was this area where they were still kind of building up, right? And it was up on a hill and there was this vacant lot. And so we rode our bikes there, me and me and my brother and uh, uh, two other brothers that lived on our same street. And so we were just kind of messing around in this little dirt lot. And somebody must have had a, a party or something because there was a lot of bottles on the ground, right? And so we looked at the bottles, and, you know, pretty soon one of us, don't remember who, we just kind of threw it in the air and just had it crash down. And then we realized that, well, it probably wasn't uh, making a big enough splash because let's try it on the street, right? And so all it takes is one to kind of throw the bottle up in the air and it land on the street. And, oh, cool, look at that, you know. And then pretty soon we're all doing it, right? Not knowing what we're doing. Because it's true. You know, sometimes you ask kids, like, why did you do that? And they, I, I don't know. You know, they honestly don't know. They just got carried up, right? And so we didn't know what we were doing, but we're throwing these bottles up. And then pretty soon uh, the people who live on top of the hill were driving home. And so they drove, they were driving home. They stopped by and they stopped us and they talked to us for a little bit. They asked a question, why, why would you guys do this? We, we don't know, <laughs> you know. And so um, what ended up happening was, yes, we gave them our phone numbers, um, just the honesty of a kid, you know, innocence and honesty, even though we're throwing bottles. We gave them our phone numbers. So by the time we rode our bikes home, our fathers knew. I remember my dad just came from work, just showered, <laughs> and he was not happy that he had to go back out in the heat and sweep up some glass that's all over the street in somebody else's neighborhood. But anyway, I tell that story to say, yes, we have this sinful nature. Even Paul mentioned it, that the things that you don't want to do, you end up doing, right? You just have this sinful nature. So we have this salvation. Sin doesn't have a hold of us, but we still have kind of this, this aura of, of this sinful nature that's, that's around us, right? But that's why the gospel is good news, because we find ourselves messing up, right? We find ourselves doing things that we don't want to do, but because of salvation, God provides, going to providing now, God provides the solution to our biggest problem. You know, we ask people like, you know, what's our biggest problem? Some people have, you know, cancer and illness and sickness and whatever it may be, but our biggest problem is we're separated from God. Mm-hmm. Biggest problem is death, right? 
that we'd be okay if people can stop dying and being separated from God, right? And so God is providing this salvation if we just take the offer, right? He's offering a salvation that's going to provide us the solution to our biggest problem. And it's interesting that God gives us what we need. He doesn't always give us what we want. But he's a loving God, and so sometimes he does give us what, what we want. But it's always, he gives us always what we need. So one of my favorite stories in the Bible that I like to teach was about the paralyzed man. And so um, paralyzed man, uh, kids, you know, uh, paralyzed man, guy couldn't walk, right? So he went around on the mat, right, his buddies. And I kind of picture, you know, four buddies, you know, each of a corner of the mat, kind of walking down the street with this paralyzed man who couldn't walk. And so they went to go spe- uh, listen to Jesus. But Jesus is speaking, and the house, I mean, the room, the house is packed, right? Probably people out the door trying to peek in, right? And this guy with this, on this mat could not get in the building. And so you know what they did? They decided to go up on the roof and come through the roof. They made a little opening and went down in the roof. Now, one, time, one of these times I taught this story, i got to say this. Uh, you know, kids will always throw you off sometimes. <laughs> and so one kid <laughs> raised her hand and said, Pastor Rodney, uh, isn't that vandalism? <laughs> so, well, <laughs> it depends how you look on it, I guess. <laughs> you know, and I explained the roofs back then, you know, were, were probably palm leaves. You know, anyway, uh, I broke it down for him. But that was an interesting question. Never had that before. But anyway, so this guy who's paralyzed comes down from the roof, and he goes right in front of Jesus. And everybody's watching. Everybody's looking. Everybody's seeing this paralyzed man. And you know what Jesus did? He said, your sins are forgiven. And now you think about that, because a lot of times people think in their mind, this guy, he's paralyzed. He can't, he can't walk. He's coming through the roof, right? And Jesus is teaching, and he says, your sins are forgiven. He wants to walk. But the moral of that story is God will always solve our biggest problem first. He will give us what we need. Walking is physical. Salvation is spiritual. The spiritual lasts for eternity. And that's what Jesus was doing. Now, fortunate for the, for the, for the paralyzed man, the Pharisees spoke up, opened their mouths, right? And they said, who is this guy? What, how can he say this? And so Jesus says, What's easier to say, get up and walk or your sins are forgiven. So the guy's healed because Jesus did miracles so that people would believe. Pharisees didn't believe, so the guy got what he needed in eternal life. And he also got what he wanted to walk again. It's a loving God. That's why, that's why there's so much joy in the gospel, right? That's why there's so much joy and what Christ did for us, okay? I mean, money, possessions, material things, sometimes we think that that may be enough, but it's not the true source of our joy because there are people that have money that are miserable, right? People that have possessions that just have this emptiness in them that they can't fill, right? The emptiness is filled knowing the reason for our joy, and that's because when we take the offer of salvation, and when God provides our greatest need, we are then united with God for eternity. God is eternal. No beginning, no end. 
he's always been. I'm going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Right? And so God is eternal. He's coming back for us, right? For that final being reunited again. Right? And so we can take joy. And, you know, there's always, there's a song I remember growing up that said, the joy that we have, the world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. Right? But Philippians 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Here's a guy talking about joy from prison. God provided eternity because... He is eternal. And God provides life, as we see in John 14, 6. John 14, 6. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And he is the life. When we're no longer separated from God because of the work that's done on the cross, we have life. Right? We have this Eternity to be with Christ. Christ reunited us with him. And that's what the gospel is. So, I just wanted to say in closing, I want want to kind of talk about when you have a new addition come into the family. So when a wife or a mother is expecting a child, right? It affects everybody, the siblings, the family, right? They get the news, and then pretty soon, the woman takes care of her body, right? Things, you know, there's a heightened awareness of things, prenatal vitamins maybe, right? You have folic acid, you know, you have to stay hydrated. You start preparing the nursery, right? Getting things ready for this, this baby that's coming, right? You have a baby shower. You baby-proof the house. The, 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 the kids start getting ready and understanding that there's going to be an addition to the family and start to adjust to this new addition that's coming. Right? You, need clo- you need a crib. You need clothes. You need linens. And so all these things are happening, right? And you kind of know that the baby's coming. You, don't have, you have an estimated time, right? You don't, don't, don't know the exact time. Now, I, I know, you know there's some cases, C-section, induced labor, and all of that. Don't ruin the example. All right. <laughs> but you have the you have this expectancy of just not necessarily knowing when this is gonna happen, right? You have an estimated time, you kinda know, right? But you look forward to that arrival. And when there's an arrival coming and you look forward to something that's coming, your life changes. You start preparing and your life kind of reflects of what's coming. Your life reflects of what's soon to be. And so we have just Christ who's coming back for us, right? We have this eternal life. And so once we have that, once we hear the gospel, once we change our lives, and once we begin to, to, to understand that our lives are eternal, we begin to prepare everything and do everything in that anticipation of the coming Christ. I'll close with Revelation 22.20. He who is faithful witnesses to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. 
Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you for this good news that we have. This good news brings us joy, God. And this joy, nobody can take that away. God, we just thank you so much that you made a way for us to bridge that gap and be reunited with you, God. And Lord, I pray that the people out there who need to hear the gospel, the people that don't know you yet, Lord, can meet you through me, through anybody else, through anybody in the congregation, Lord, so they too can have this eternal life. And they too can hear the gospel, this good news, and have this joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.